thank you all for coming tonight. I have been really meditating on um, what to share, and it's interesting because my heart for a long time has been in the book of Exodus, and um, you know, it's unusual to be in an Old Testament book when we're talking about the coming of Jesus Christ, yet I feel as I've done the studies, I've begun the study on Exodus, it's actually very much um, we're in this world, Egypt, and he is coming and delivering us out of this world and taking us on a journey to the promised land, which is heaven. And it is a process, it is a journey that still is as relevant as I've studied it out as it was back then. And the things that he shares in the process with the story of Moses are tools and things that we can hold on to where we're at today, right here in our society. And so for the last almost term, I've been teaching on it in, at ladies, but very, very in depth. And so tonight I'm going to pull out some parts of it, um, which I hope will bless you and it is the platform and then I've asked mom to share on the potholes of the journey you know what beware of the potholes and those of you that watched Sun Live last night there was a huge pothole on Kaimais that took 30 cars out so and then I've asked Rob to share on the laybys where you need to find your rest in the journey that we're at and how do you find that place of rest in the midst of all that's going on yes the return of the king yes we are seeing um you know darkness coming in but he said i will raise up a standard i will be your deliverer and it doesn't mean that it was easy in fact when moses went to the israelites Pharaoh said, ah, that's really nice. I'll up your quota and take your straw. And why? And then they began to grumble and complain because the promise was for deliverance, yet it seemed to become more uncomfortable. And that is our journey right now. We know the king is returning, yet things seem to be getting more uncomfortable and the quota just is unrealistic. Why? Because as believers, if everything was comfortable, we'd never move. And God is about preparing us for what is to come. Heaven is the final destination. All through scripture, and you've heard me share this before, it was the road to Aramaeus, the road to Jericho, the road to Bethlehem. We are on the road to the kingdom of heaven, to heaven. And so... um. <clears throat> All of us are on this road, and I wanted to encourage you not to define yourself where you're at on this road. So say, for example, we're driving and it's gravel. Now, the, that is your experience. Your car gets hit with stones. There's dust, um, and you might have to get muddy patches. That's the road terrain you're on right now, but that isn't the definition of your entire journey. By the same token, as you don't judge yourself by that period in time, in other words, if you're going through a very difficult time and you are holding on by the skin of your teeth, don't judge your entire Christian walk by what you're in now. 
okay, by the dust and the stone. And by the same token, don't judge another man by the journey therein at that process as well. We cannot compare. God has called us each to our own. And, um, you know, so I've been meditating on this because what happens is we we allow what we're experiencing and what we're feeling to almost be our judge of where we're at right now. And it's not. God looks at us as the author and finisher of our faith. He has the capacity to see the whole picture and he knows what you will be in the whole picture. So um, give, in other words, give yourself space, but also keep pursuing. Don't ever get comfortable and complacent in the process. So that's really um, an introduction on what I wanted to share. You know, I was, I just wrote a few points. Um, God's word is truer than your circumstance and stronger than history. Okay. So he is truer than what you're facing now and he's stronger than your history and your past. This is a journey. It's not just about you. That's the single biggest thing as believers we've got to get out of our heads. What we experience, God does it so that we can reach and prepare others. It's not just about you. Um, there are two kinds. You have um, two kinds of people. You have the destination people that only think about the destination and miss what God is doing here and today. You know, like um, with the end time, God is returning. It's a case of beam me up, Scotty, and I'll just hang on tight until then. No, we are to be effective warriors until such time. We are to be working in the vineyard, found faithful until the king returns. And um, and then there's the others who get so bogged down on today that you miss the big picture and God is calling us to be both. Our walk with him is to develop the word of God in us, but also to develop our character. When a baby is in its mother, that is its reality for nine months. It's dark, it's wet, it's muffled sound, and that is what it seems like. But all those nine months is preparation for what is to come once it's birthed. And this is our womb period. Your 80 or 90 or 100 years on this earth is your womb period for what is to come. And, you know, what, how we develop and what we learn and grow equips us for eternity. Eternity is so big and so beyond and it is a functioning kingdom that this our earth time is our preparation time for heaven. And and that is encouraging. That is really encouraging. Don't let others define you by where you're at on your journey. And don't allow your emotions to define where you're at in your journey. We are all on this journey together. So I wanted to share... On Exodus, which is the journey of moving out of Egypt, out of worldliness, and moving into the promised land. And I'm going to start in Exodus 2, and I'm going to pick out scriptures along the way. It's 
difficult for, you know, obviously I've been teaching it really intently, almost chapter by chapter and relating it. So I'm going to pull out nuggets and then hopefully it will make you hungry enough to go and look at it for yourself at home. So um, Moses, we know in Exodus 2 verse 10, and it says, And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called him Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of water. Now the word Moses means to draw out. And that is a prophetic picture of what God was going to do in this man's life. But that's what he's doing in our life. He's drawing us. He keeps on us drawing us. But it was really interesting because from that, in verse 10, it goes on to verse 11, and it says, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was growing, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Now what struck me with this is Moses wants to take justice into his own hands and do it his way. He was called to deliver his people. But in this moment, it was premature. It was done in his own strength. And the warning to us is God has called each and every single one of us for a different task, but not to do it in our strength and how we should administer it. He was called, he was called to be drawn out. And it's interesting, in this very circumstance, it says, are you prince and judge over us? And actually, they were prophesying because he later became their prince and judge. But you see, it was in a human-orientated circumstance. It wasn't God-breathed yet. So what happens is then he flees from Egypt, which is what now he's on the road. We need to totally flee from all that is Egypt in our lives. We need to stop making and taking matters into our own hands and flee from the Egypt and trying to fix it in our strength. And then what happens? He goes to Midian and he sits by a well. We need to flee Egypt and sit by the well. His name is Jesus. And in that process of sitting by the well, along comes um, the shepherd girls and he, you know, and they get bullied at the well and Moses helps them get water so they get home sooner than anticipated. And what struck me with this is even though he must have been feeling uncertain and sorry for himself and he was in a holding pattern, he was sitting at the well, what do I do? I can't go back to Egypt. That's it. So now what? 
And sometimes in our lives, we feel like that. But he was not selfish in that moment. He was prepared to reach and help others get their water quicker than even though he didn't know where he would land up. So in this process, in our journey of life, we need to flee Egypt, not take matters in our own hands, sit by the well, and even if you're in the place of waiting, help others get their water. Help others get their water. And so... Um, now the priest of Midian, seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled troughs of water their fathers to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. This is interesting. He didn't sit there feeling sorry for himself. He stood up and helped others. Don't let the circumstances of Egypt and what governments are doing make you sit down. He's calling us to stand. And that's what you've been sharing on. And then, um, then they came to Ruel, their father, and he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand. And then he said, Why have you left this man? Call him that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah the daughter to Moses. So what happened in this process is then he gets adopted into a family and he um, he serves these guys. And then, I love it, in verse 24 of the same chapter, so it's verse chapter 2, so God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them and you know what he's doing that for us right now in this season too he hears he sees and he acknowledges now we go to chapter 3 and Moses is tending the flock in the desert and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, it was his declaration. He didn't think it, he said it, and he's by himself. I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why does this bush not burn? You see, we need to declare why we're turning aside to see God. It was a declaration. He didn't just think it. It was a creation. It was a, a spoken thing. Let me turn aside. It was a will thing. And as he approaches, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, you see, we can go through the busyness of our life and God is doing something, but are we willing to turn aside from that busyness and stop and say, okay, I'm going to really investigate this or stop and whatever God is doing for this individual. So when the Lord saw that he had turned him aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. 
am. And he said, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet. Take your sandals off your feet. Why? Because it's holy ground. But sandals represent the way you used to work before. So now Moses is saying, God is saying, come near, but you're not going to walk the way you walked before. Take your shoes off. Our shoes represent our walk. And he, and so he said, moreover, he said, I am the Lord your God, your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He calls God, he calls Moses from the burning bush, and he says, take your shoes off, I'm taking you away, you haven't been before. But then he reassures him that he's the God of the generations. In other words, he is a God outside of time. And no matter what you're facing now, he is the God of the past, the present, and the future. He is all-encompassing. He has got this. And you know, when you go on a journey with somebody, it's much easier to trust them on the journey when you understand their character. And I feel like many believers, they know stuff about God, but they don't know his character. God cannot lie. That's his character. He is faithful. That is his character. He is the God of your past, present, and future. He is the God of the generations. He is interested in the whole picture. And so when you understand his character, you can turn aside and you can walk a different way and you can follow his voice even into the unknown. Because believe me, we are stepping into unknown times like we have never heard or seen. And we need to trust him in the very nature and character of this God that we are in. So immediately here he says, this is who I am. Straight away he starts reassuring, this is who I am. And he said, and in verse 7, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. Do you not think God has seen you? He has seen you. Surely he has seen you. And he has heard your cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Now that word know means to recognize and acknowledge and be acquainted with. He is not some aloof standoff guy that says, good luck suckers, see you at the finish line. He is well acquainted. So I have, in verse 8, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egypt and bring them up to the land, to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And behold, the cry of the children of the Israel have come to me, and I have seen their oppression. Now I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. <laughs> Verse 10. But Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children out of Israel? So he said, I will certainly be with you. No matter what task God calls you to, he is certainly going to be with you. Not if, but, or maybe. He is certainly. 
Verse 14, it says, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so he now begins to go and give instructions. <laughs> and um, they, they know the story. But this is verse, I want to go to chapter 4. And so we know he gets, says, right, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. This is what's going to happen. And I want you to tell him, let my people go. And there's going to be a process. But this has really struck me for the journey of life. Um, so the Lord said to him, what? In chapter 4, verse 2. So the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a rod. The Lord is saying to you today, what is in your hand? Now, rod symbolizes authority. And we as believers have authority. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He's not asking you to get stuff you don't have. He's asking you to go with what is in your hand right now. And, you know, like I've been sharing with the woman, we often, Lord, am I being obedient about a purpose that I don't know? Just do the stuff you do know every day. Every day. Do with what's in your hand today and God will take care of the rest. And so then he, and then he said, so cast it on the ground and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. And it's interesting. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Serpent is a picture of Satan. That rod turned into a, se into a serpent, and he says, pick it up. You have authority over it. It went back to a rod. So you have authority over the enemy. Yes, it was a sign to them, but it's a sign to us as well. And then he says um, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, again, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the, said, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom and he took it out. And behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Leprosy is always a picture of sin. And he says, here's a picture of you have sin, put it back in your chest, now you don't. I am the redeemer of Satan. Satan has no hold of you. I am now the redeemer over sin. I have authority over you. You see, he's giving signs to the Egyptian pharaoh to show his power. And the sign to the lost and dying world is that we Jesus has authority over the devil in their lives. And he has authority over the sin in their lives. And then the next sign was the blood, the water, pour the water, and it became blood. And when Jesus was crucified on the cross and they pierced him, what came out of his side? Blood and water, a picture of redemption. And this was signs to the lost so that they would know that he was king of kings and lord of lords. 
is just phenomenal. This God is just phenomenal. That he can, this is an account of thousands of years ago, yet he instructs us through his word more relevant today than ever before. How can it not be the inspired word of God? I just, it blows my circuit board. It, it really, it really does. And then he goes um, on and he said, put your hand in your bosom. And so, it, and he drew it out and behold, it was restored like other flesh. Um, verse nine, and it shall be that if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take water from the river and pour it on dry ground. And the water you take from the river shall become blood on dry land. It's interesting, the water on dry ground, boy, and then it comes into atonement. And Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since have you spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And how immediately in the face of the supernatural, we, we see our inadequacy. And we make excuses of why we can't do what we can't do. Don't let your excuse for today miss your purpose for tomorrow. For too long, the body of Christ has been making <coughs> excuses and it's come from the lie of the enemy that is birthed out of condemnation. Remember, religion celebrates perfection. Jesus is always celebrating progress. So it's not about our perfection. It's about us getting up every day and getting on that journey with him. That's what he's about. He never is expecting perfection. And so Moses feels, begins to feel inadequate and he goes, no, 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 no. He, he reassures him. And he did get angry with Moses about it. He did. And I think we need to learn not to take, you know, God has made provision. He has given you authority over the work of the enemy and over the curse of sin. Don't let excuses stand in your way. And it was making him angry because there was so much more to this than just Moses. It was about delivering a people. And it's so much more about you it's about your realm of influence that God is interested in redeeming and saving and getting them out of Egypt and into the promised land. So I, we know the rest of the story, how he goes through and he, and he, go, and he does all these things. He takes on the 10 plagues and I taught on that. It's interesting because as I did the study from an archaeological side, the ten plagues were the lower gods, and I didn't realize that Pharaoh was the <coughs> ultimate god. And that's why God took him on in the final thing, and that's why Pharaoh's heart was hard because, it, hard, because he was the big cheese, and he didn't have respect for the, uh, the smaller gods. Only when it touched him did he now begin to pay attention. But I didn't realize that he was literally, Pharaoh is the picture of the supreme. 
God of Egypt at that time. And so God was establishing his strength all the way through until it touched him. Grace, even for the Egyptians. And so I want to then just go to this part. So now we get to the stage where they say in Exodus 12 and 13, where God says, right, now I'm going to bring this plague and you will be delivered. The firstborn will be sacrificed and the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. And he talks about the preparation of the um, um, unleavened bread and roasting the whole lamb. And, you know, you couldn't pick and choose which part of the lamb you wanted to eat. You had to roast the whole lamb and unleavened bread. And he was very, very strong. If you read in Exodus 12 and 13, he talks a lot several times over and over and over again do not let unleavened bread be seen in your life do not partake of it and that is an urgency and a message for us now do not do not think you can sneak in with leaven in your heart deal with the sin of leaven leaven is a sin is a picture of leaven in scripture and so he's calling again and again um it's in Exodus 13, verse 7, verse 6. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you. Not found among you, seen. So this is a picture that is not about the bread, sweetheart. It's about something that manifests in our lives that he doesn't want seen. So as believers, as we go on this journey and as we are now on the door of the king's return, do not let leaven bread be seen in us. And you shall, and you know what? It's really interesting. I'm just, this is a by the way note. And no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. Said twice in one verse, he's, he's making a point. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And what struck me when I was preparing for the women's group that I want to share with you tonight is we are not seeing people delivered from Egypt because the church has got too much leaven in them and what is happening is it says you shall tell your son saying this is done because of what the Lord did for me a lot of messages and preaching to our children and those around us is what they should be doing for God rather than what God has done for them so the message of the kingdom of God and salvation is falling flat because there's too much leaven and we're not telling about what God has done for us. We're giving them the five steps on theology and the three steps on faith and all of that and it's not matching with our lives. No, get rid of the leaven and tell what Jesus did for you today. That's what he's calling us to do. And so it will be that it will be remembered. And how what he did for me when I came up from Egypt. 
and it shall be as a sign to you on your hand, actions, and a memorial between your eyes, what goes on here in your thinking, that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. Actions, thinking comes out of your mouth. And what he's calling us to do is just do that. Get rid of the leaven and tell of the goodness of God. And it will manifest by the works of our hands, by what we're thinking, and it will come out of our mouths. Very simple. And that is a remembrance. I love this. Verse 14 of chapter 13. So it will be when your son asks you in time to come saying, what is this that you shall say to him by the strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt and out of the house of bondage? Our declaration on this journey is how God has delivered us and how he has brought us out of bondage in the simplicity. This was very enlightening to me. This is, I'm just sharing with you what I learned. Um, Exodus 13 verse 17. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near. For God said, lest perhaps the peoples change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Verse 18. So God led the people round the way of the wilderness and the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went out in orderly ranks. Now that really stopped me. Do you know what Philistine means? It was a shorter way, but it was inhabited by the Philistines. And Philistine means destroyer, violent, and ravenous. It would break them, press, and scatter. So he said, I'm not going to take them a shortcut that will completely annihilate them and destroy them. I'm going to take them through the wilderness. So I looked up what the word wilderness in the Strong's Concordance means. Because, hey, I know what wilderness means. Generally, it's always been portrayed of, good luck, mate. Hang in there. See you on the other side if you make it. No, wilderness doesn't mean that. It means a pasture, an open field, a desert. It means speech. To, to arrange one's words. To speak really in a destructive sense. To subdue, answer, appoint, bid, command, commune. It blew me out of the water. It means to declare, to destroy, to give, to name, to promise, to pronounce, to release, to speak, to be a spokesman, to subdue, to talk, to teach, to tell, to think, to utter, and to work. That's what wilderness means. It was a place that he was going to teach them, instruct them, 
give them understanding on the voice of God and get them to commune with him. Yes, it was a desert. Yes, it was an open place and pasture. But it was about the lessons and the communing that they would learn in that season with God. It wasn't a case of roast your acorns, good luck, buddy. Which is how the wilderness has always been portrayed to me. Well, if you survive, <laughs> no, it's about him establishing his voice to you as an individual in that place. Your journey, this place on earth with the hardships that we face, is not about roasting you. It's about learning and communicating and walking and talking and journeying with you. And then I was just undone by this. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him and God said, surely, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from where, where you go. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped at Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. And by night in a pillar of fire, he gave them light. So as, so as to go by day and night. Verse 22. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And he hasn't today. And that cloud is um, obviously a covering. Okay, cloud by day, fire by night. Cloud means covering. And fire, we know, brings light in the darkness. He is our light in the dark place. And he's our covering in the day when exposure and we're feeling the heat of things. But what struck me in Africa, fire is really important. In New Zealand, you use it to warm your home and for light. But actually in Africa, whenever we went anywhere, we lit a fire because it stopped predators. And he is your fire in the dark season so that the satanic predators cannot come near your camp. They might prowl around. You might hear a lion walking around your campsite. But the likelihood of them coming into camp with a big fire is very little. And he said, I will be this for my people. And he is that for you today. So as we face what is coming in this time, remember the nature and character of God. He's asking you, what is your declaration? Get rid of the leaven. Be ready. And as night draws near, know that that fire is there. Yes, to light the way, to keep you, but to keep the predators at bay. This is a God you can trust on this journey. He's phenomenal. He's absolutely phenomenal. And the wilderness situations that you go through is not there to kill you. It's there so that you can commune with God, that you can hear his voice, that you can talk with him. That's what it's about.
So though we they walk through all these circumstances, he was there. He is the God who sees and he is the God who hears. And that's what I wanted to share. <laughs> so Father, we just thank you for how you show yourself in this journey of Exodus. But as we journey through this life and we draw near to the promised land, the return of our King, that you have given us all these nuggets along the way to reassure us and to keep us walking. And Lord, we thank you that you are the God who sees, you are the God who hears, and you are the God who will deliver us. You are coming back for us. You didn't leave your people in Egypt. You heard their cry. And we know that you hear our cry today. In Jesus' name, amen.